Good morning and welcome to A Priest and a Rabbi. Uh, it is Rabbi Durbin here. Uh, Father Anderson is away today. Uh, we do wish him uh, the best and he uh, most certainly will join us next week. But this week, I am really excited to welcome uh, not only a colleague, but a dear friend as well, Rabbi Lauren Ben-Shoshan, who is here to talk with us about how do we reframe? How do we... Uh, how do we see ourselves in a world of disconnection or a world of great strife or great challenge? And how do we overcome it? And what are the, uh, we would like say, what are the obstacles, the stumbling blocks that are placed before us? And how do we overcome them or not overcome them uh, as the situation may be? Uh, and how do we learn from uh, the situation that um, we find ourselves in, um, which is unprecedented, uh, at least in our lifetime? And um, what are those those moments that we can create for ourselves with uh, with meaning and with value. So it gives me great pleasure this morning uh, to welcome to the program Rabbi Lauren Ben Shoshan. Lauren, welcome. Thank you so much. Absolutely. We're going to delve in deep as we as we as we start our program, priest and a rabbi. And clearly today it is two rabbis, no priest. from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bay Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Good morning, Sparta. It is uh, priest and a rabbi today. Just trying to figure out our sound levels here. So they're not as reverberating, but um, uh, welcome this morning to a priest and a rabbi. Um, Father Anderson from St. Mary's is out today. We wish him uh, a wonderful, wonderful rest of the day and uh, certainly a wonderful weekend. But it is, uh, I, I'm super excited. It's not often that, uh, um, uh, that I get the opportunity to bring in not only uh, a friend and, and a colleague, but um, you know, two rabbis today looking at the challenges that have presented itself before us and the uh, abilities to kind of go through uh, you know, a challenging moment together um, and, and how we go about it. So it is my great pleasure this morning to welcome to our program Rabbi Lauren Ben-Shoshan, who is uh, uh, just, a, just an incredible, incredible rabbi, uh, a tremendous mother of four, um, um, uh, a, a devoted friend, and just, uh, just upstanding and just incredible and creative uh, individual who has joined us on the program. Um, for those that uh, uh, don't know, which probably be all of you, um, uh, Rabbi Lauren and I had the very fortunate opportunity uh, many years ago when I was doing my third year of rabbinical school in Jerusalem, uh, and Lauren was doing her first year 
um, at HUC, Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion. Um, Lauren uh, was very friendly and uh, developed a very deep relationship and friendship with my wife, uh, to whom we both met uh, in Jerusalem. And that relationship has blossomed and certainly um, um, been there through thick and thin for many years. Uh, Lauren was part of my wife's rabbinical um, rabbinical group. Uh, they were ordained together, just something that was just really, really great. Uh, we were very disappointed to know that Lauren moved not only to the West Coast of the United States, as she is uh, in Lake Tahoe, California, uh, but before then she had spent um, a few years in Tel Aviv and Israel uh, and really uh, reconnecting with um, with her husband's family, with her family. Um, we're, we're, we're very fortunate you're back here stateside, but we really want you, Lauren, at this point, get out of the cold, get out of California, you know, move down here to Florida, you know? Um, but it is, um, um, it is something that I am really, really excited to be able to explore some of these issues with Rabbi Lauren Ben-Shoshan. So uh, Lauren, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a joy to be here and to see you and to get to participate. You know, it's funny. I was, I was actually mentioning to Rose last night and I said, you know, the last time I actually saw Lauren um, must have been years ago. Uh, cause it's, well, I mean, the last time I saw my own parents was, uh, almost two years ago. So it's been, it's been, it's been, it's been quite a whirlwind, um, you know, uh, and, and for those that are, you know, friends with Lauren on a multiplicity of different, you know, social media platforms, um, uh, you can definitely see the incredible and just amazing work that you are doing. I know, uh, Rose and I were commenting, I was talking to Rose about this last night and we were both commenting on just your creativity and what you have done, um, not only with education and with your kids, uh, but just just everything that you put your heart and your soul into uh, is just uh, is just is just amazing. It's just amazing. So let's open up that conversation. How, you know, when we look at at, at the challenges with this pandemic and the challenges of you know, uh, um, connecting and the and the challenges of learning. How have you either reframed your identity? I, I mean, how does that work? How, how has that been for you, certainly over the last two years? So I think, at least for us, between the move and um, everything else, learning how to reframe has been one of the most important skills that um, that I've had to develop over the past couple of years. And a lot of that comes from like being quote unquote good at grief, right? Every, every change involves some loss and acknowledging that loss, seeing it for what it is and allowing it to move past you is a part of the work that enables you to really move forward. Anytime you have to change or create a reframing for yourself, you know, like letting go of a past identity in order to embrace a newer, wider one so that you can acknowledge more of who you are is incredibly difficult, but also part of the work that it takes in order to be able to, you know, see yourself for not just a narrow bit of who you are, but your whole self. That's are we are we saying in some way just the, the in terms of reframing almost as um, reinventing ourselves, or is it in terms of reframing in terms of using what we have and who and what we are, but changing the makeup or the conversation, or is it 
you know, reinventing. So I think a lot of the times we stick ourselves into these like small, tiny labels. Um, you know, we say we're this kind of person or we're that kind of person or like this job defines me or, um, and the second that that changes or becomes wider or, you know, shifts somewhere else, it's really tough to think of yourself differently. And that like, that involves a lot of grief, like I said, but also like, it's not necessarily changing who you are. It's acknowledging like that there's more than one mosaic tile in who you are, right? There's all these different aspects of what makes up a person and learning to see the other aspects, right? Like maybe you've developed this one thing and this one skill or this like small set of skills and learning to acknowledge that you are more than just that set of skills and to see all the other mosaic tiles, not just as individual tiles, but then as a whole picture mm-hmm. is really difficult to do, but also extremely freeing, mm-hmm. right? All of a sudden your idea of what it means to be successful isn't necessarily tied to your ability to organize this thing or that thing. It's tied to your ability to look at a whole thing and see how to chunk it down, which mm-hmm. that skill can then be applied to almost anything, hmm. right? So it's it's taking a look at what you have and really like stepping back and seeing the whole thing and sometimes stepping forward and seeing like little bits of it that you just hadn't noticed before. Hmm. And, and, and I love what you said in terms of also labels and how we identify ourselves, you know, certainly as Jews, which, uh, you know, I haven't used a label yet on Jews, um, and certainly for those that may be unfamiliar with uh, denominationally Judaism, we have predominantly three, we could argue four mainstream Jewish movements, mm-hmm. which of course is very different from Christianity that has something like 55,000 different strands of, of Christianity. Um, Islam, you got Sunni, Shiite, right? But within Judaism, you have predominantly, and for those that um, uh, are not familiar, I'll do it in order of centralized movement that came first, uh, reform. Orthodoxy is a reaction to what we were doing, conservative Judaism, and then to some degree Reconstructionist. But in 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 that way, we we almost as Jews have labeled ourselves as right. In some way, we say, "Well, I'm a Reform Jew," right? And just for our listeners out there, there was no re, uh, you know Reformation. We're not Reformed Jews. It's not a Reformed temple. We are Reform Jews. Um, the verb but, present tense. <laughs> absolutely right. But in some way. Is there, do you see comfort in the label? Like for me, at least there's a lot of comfort in saying, yes, I'm Jewish, but however, I also subscribe to a uh, perhaps more liberal understanding or a more uh, expressive, um, a, a more, a movement that I can identify with that serves my needs and purposes. We are not a movement that is watered down Judaism or Judaism light. We are a very serious movement. So in that regard, how do you see labels and how do we how do we break down these labels or these barriers? So I think labels are easy, right? It gives you a quick communication with yourself or someone else about what you believe, even if you don't necessarily believe in like the entire thing, right? And this is part of what we're talking about is learning to examine what you've said about yourself and how you feel about yourself in a deeper, more complete way. Because because the label is easy, we don't often think really hard about what goes into that label. 
mm-hmm. right? Like reform Judaism, to use your example, is I would say highly complex and that you have to really decide what your relationship to not just Jewish law and Jewish tradition in general is, but each single one of the like bits and pieces and like debates around the Jewish tradition, which then forces you into these conversations and these deep examinations and things like that. So Hmm. there is an argument to be made, like you were making, like it is very complex and, and very deep and potentially much harder than choosing to be a different denomination. One could argue, we could, (laughs) we could get another rabbi on this and have an enormous debate about Mm. like, what is like, what is hard, what is meaningful? Why would you engage in that? Mm -hmm. Now, I would also say like the thing that I say to my kids all the time is worthwhile things are hard and you can do hard things, right? Like spending these, spending time really engaging in investigating what the label means, what your relationship to that label is, is part of the work that it takes in order to open up how you understand yourself And once you start to understand yourself a little bit better, it's easier to acknowledge like the good stuff and the bad stuff and to steadily figure out that you are not some perfect, you know, emanation, but Mm -hmm. a learner and somebody who's working on things. And once you understand yourself as a learner and as a person who's working on things, and that means inherently imperfect and some failure is going to be involved, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden that failure becomes easier. It doesn't break your identity. Mm-hmm. And when your identity isn't broken, it's just simply like a part of your journey. Things are much easier from that perspective. So it's much harder up front. You're like front loading all the hard stuff, mm-hmm. but it means that when you hit stumbling blocks and things like that, it's easier to overcome them because that's just a part of it. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't upset the apple cart. Mm-hmm. So looking at, at, at just that, that, that challenge you said at the end, which was right when there are challenges that present itself and how do we, how do we reframe them? How do we go back to it? You know, obviously look, COVID has been a massive monkey wrench um, put in, in our society. Yeah. Right. Um, and in some way it's, how do we pivot? How do we, how do we make these moments of meaning? Um, I know for myself, uh, you know, I try now to be much more present with my kids, which has always been challenging. That that stuff is really tough. One of the things that I did before I entered into rabbinical school in order to decide whether or not rabbinical school or something else would be right for me is that I spent a month noticing what made me happy and brought me meaning in my day like from hour to hour, and then what made me happy and what brought me meaning in my week as a general whole. And then after four weeks, what made me happy over the course of the month and what brought meaning into my life. And from there, you start to be able to chart out what what matters to you, right? Because each of us has a purpose and each of us has a divine spark within us. And each of those things is meant to be doing something different right? Like we're not all meant to be the same. And so spending time learning how to observe yourself and then just noticing, not making a lot of judgments about it, just like marking down like, oh, I really found a lot of meaning in this. Oh, I really like didn't find a lot of meaning in that. And Mm -hmm. then 
you know, spending time with those observations and really like thinking through what, where you want to go and what you want to do, because you're not supposed to be the same person at 15 as you are at 25. And you're not supposed to be the same person at 25 as you are at 35 or 45 or 55 Mm. and so on. You know, it's it's interesting. Somebody, somebody once said to me a long time ago that, you know, your twenties are vastly different than your thirties. They had said your thirties are vastly different than your forties. Um, I, I saw the massive shift between 20 and 30. I didn't see that much of a shift between 30 and 40. You know, okay, I, I populated the world three times with three kids. I get it. I was about it. to say, you had kids and had I to had keep kids. on going. Absolutely. <laughs> That's you know, but, already a massive change. <laughs> absolutely. But, you know, it's interesting because there's something where I saw, and especially with this pandemic, where I've seen how my kids have reacted and how I've reacted to the situation. Um, and I'm curious for you in terms of, you know, as you mentioned before, that, you know, you homeschooled your kids over the last year. Yes. How did you make uh, still, that decision? Our oldest is still homeschooled. Okay. How, I mean, how did that, how did you and, and, you know, your husband alone, I mean, how did you both, was it a decision you both came to? Was it something you said, you know, maybe I want more time with my kids or being able to watch them develop on their own journey and, and watch their intellect grow? I mean, what, how, how did you come to that decision? So, um, I have a friend who told me some people homeschool for a reason, some people homeschool for a season, and some people homeschool for a lifetime. So for us, homeschooling was not, it was an accidental choice. Um, It was something that we fell into as a result of the pandemic in so many ways. I was watching my kids be miserable on Zoom Mm -hmm. and you know, there were days where the only person in the house who wasn't in tears was my husband, who was just kind of like, what is happening? Mm. Uh, (laughs) And I was just like, this is not the life that we want to lead. Now, having studied history and having studied kind of like the, how things flow and the fact that we have been so, it is, let's back up a second. We are incredibly lucky. We have never known a pandemic until now. That is Mm -hmm. incredibly unusual throughout the history of humanity. Ever since we have had agricultural farming, we have known pandemics usually on cycles, right? Like all of the like Pride and Prejudice and Jane Austen books where they're talking about the season upon one which goes out to the country. Yeah, they're doing that because London is full of malaria, right? Like they're they're in the midst of a pandemic and they are leaving the pandemic in order to create more physical space between them and their neighbors so that they don't catch or spread what is happening, right? Like our concept of that this is new is really... um, not it's new to us right and that makes it really hard right when people talk about like oh Shakespeare wrote you know this and that over the you know over the course of the pandemic in his lifetime well there's a few things in there one he's getting all of his meals served to him two he never has to clean up after anybody um three he's used to pandemics this was expected right like this was an easy time for him to (laughs) self-isolate because he knew that that's what he had to do. It wasn't a surprise. It wasn't like a shock. It was like, oh yeah, this is happening again. And you know, this is what we do when it happens. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think thinking of ourselves in a wider historical 
con like construct mm -hmm. all of a sudden puts this into a place of gratitude as opposed to a place of um being put upon and the torture upon us right like mm -hmm. when you suddenly see that all of humanity has experienced pandemics and we are lucky that this is our first one then not only do you feel the oh i've I feel really lucky that this is my first one and not my fifth one. And that I'm not, you know, all of the death, all of the drama, everything else is new to me. And that presents its own challenges, but also like, I'm lucky to have this pandemic when there's Netflix, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to generations before that didn't even necessarily have books or novels to fall back upon. It was just yeah. you being alone in the woods. Mm -hmm. um, and that, it, that change in perspective, you know, like you said, opening up one's identity to not just myself, but all of humanity mm -hmm. um, changes how you feel about it and also enables you to see the strategy that you choose in order to keep your kids safe is very different. Mm -hmm. um, so when my kids were out of their mind because of Zoom, I started to look deeper into history and try and figure out like where what what I was going to do with all these kids because I knew that we weren't the first ones to experience this and one of the things at the time that I was watching was the Roosevelt's documentary on PBS um and learned that FDR had lived essentially his entire childhood you know in a very nice circumstances and highly privileged in the whole conversation but basically by himself with the exception of like two weeks at a time once a year with his cousins and I was like oh if he did that and became president, we'll be fine. Our goals aren't that high. Like, we'll be a-okay. Um, and so I consciously chose to start to emphasize experience with them um, and really make sure that everything that we were doing was hands-on and emphasize joy, right? There's so many, there's so many times in which um, as a child, we think joy just occurs. And as a grown-up, you learn that it has to be cultivated and then harvested, right? Like you need to put in the effort for it. Um, and this was one of those moments that I had to, you know, drink my own medicine on that one mm -hmm. or eat, eat my own cooking and say like, all right, well, let's invest in creating joyful educational experiences for our kids. And that means me doing that because I have a, you know, like I have the experience and the um, background to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm super lucky that that's the case. And, you know, let's really spend some time, uh, mm -hmm. investing and trying to figure out like, what, what do I want them to know out of this world? And like, what kinds of opportunities can I create for them within our own home that interest me and, uh, would expose them to different kinds of learning experiences. Amazing. Um, and you know, it's, like I talked about, like part of learning how to be a learner is understanding that like failure is going to be a part of that, right? So like, there's going to be days that the kids are going to be miserable and there's going to be mm -hmm. days that I'm going to be miserable, but you know, then you have to ask yourself at the end of the day, all right, like what bits worked and what bits really didn't so that we can focus in on the bits that worked and slowly get rid of the bits that didn't. Mm -hmm. And that created, that enabled us to slowly come into a rhythm that really worked for us as, um, as homeschoolers and as, you know, like learning from home. Oh, well. Super helpful. Amazing.
So we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, just to kind of explore a little bit deeper uh, with Rabbi Lauren in terms of as she uh, expressed of hands-on education. Um, you know, some may call it experiential education, and what that means, and how do we how do we create these moments within our within our families, within ourselves, uh, when there are times that we may be exhausted, we may be uh, overwhelmed, um, and trying to find that that space. Uh, to remember that it may not be about us or you know others around us. That it's, there's a there's a much bigger entity out there and a much bigger picture. And how do we bring it in? And you know the challenges that that persist itself. Um, so join us as we take a quick break and come back and learn a lot uh, from Rabbi Lauren Ben Shoshan. Um, so we'll see you in just a few moments. Hey everyone, it's Evan Nine, producer of A Priest and a Rabbi. Thank you for tuning in and being part of this community. We love developing new partnerships with this podcast to help further the interfaith movement. To join us, please email Father Christian at yourfavoritechristian at gmail.com. You can have an advertisement right here on this podcast, which is currently heard across the USA and in 34 other countries. Thanks for being here, and do not forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening from. Now back to A Priest and a Rabbi. Welcome back to the award-winning Priest and a Rabbi radio show with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin. Let's get ready for the second half of the show. <laughs> welcome back. Uh, welcome back, Stuart, Florida. Welcome back, uh, America. And of course, welcome back to the 62 countries in the world to whom we reach on our uh, uh, almost award-winning podcast uh, and radio show. Um, as we, uh, we were in contention about a year ago for Florida's finest, uh, podcast. We did not win, um, but hopefully we will win in the future. Um, but welcome back. We are here discussing with Rabbi Lauren Ben Shoshan, looking at um, um, the, you know the issues and the challenges of identity and labeling and reframing, and seeing how when there are challenges that are presented before us, that we have really two options: one, to embrace and 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 look at uh, at the good. And the other is to perhaps retreat and um, uh, do things that we have always done in the past. Uh, and Lauren has certainly taken the initiative for herself and for her family and, and for those who obviously have the uh, fortunate pleasure to interact with her to know that Lauren has taken the step up above to be able to say, let's embrace it. Let's use this challenge and use it for our own devices. So um, Lauren, uh, again, thank you for joining us. And um I guess one of the questions I had was, you know, as you mentioned before, before we went to break, in terms of, you know, the education that you're doing with your children, uh, you know, very a, a very different model than it was 10 years ago or 15, 20 years ago, and the model now of homeschooling your children, being able to be present with them, to watch them grow intellectually as well as academically and everything else. Um, but using that experiential education model, and just for, for those of our folks that may not be uh, familiar with the terminology, right, in some way, in some semblance, it's 
get your hands dirty, right? Doing the action behind it and then filling in the reason why we do the things we do to kind of have a more fuller understanding. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I, I try and teach my own children, um, and it's great that we're on radio, and of course, I don't have it with me right now, but, you know, I take a kiddish cup and I say to my kids, what is this? And they'll say, it's a kiddish cup. And I go, great. Um, is it holy? Is it special? And my kids will go, it's special. It's not holy. Right. So, you know, religious school model, maybe we've done, you know, ceramics, we make a kiddish cup, right? It's fun. It's interactive. But yet at the same time, we learn that once I invoke God and I bring God into it, as we as we say within our tradition, right? Blessed are you, Lord, our God, who has brought forth fruit of the vine. I've now rendered this maybe special cup a holy cup right? That the stuff inside of it, the wine is just wine until I bless it and I bring and invoke God's holy name, which then renders something holy so that my kids understand the, the value of what it means to be holy and what makes something holy through the act of making something in and of itself. So I guess, Lauren, my question for you is, you know, what were some of those really impactful and just moments of meaning that you had the opportunity to do with your kids that brought for your kids or even for you a moment of clarity or a moment of discovery? Oh, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, one of the things that we have been doing this past year is exploring other people's traditions and going through the ancient traditions, not just of the Romans and the Greeks, and um, but also in Mesopotamia and Egypt and for the sun and the Maasai and the Yorubans and, you know, um, out to India and back again, including Mesopotamia. So one of the things that I was, and some of that comes from my own super geeky interest um, and my deep love for all things ancient world, um, in addition to our, our own tradition. Um, so, but I think like, really spending time in each of those cultures and trying to put ourselves into what it would mean to be that, like in that place, in that culture with the environment that they had. And why would you create the stories that have been created? Why would this have enough meaning that you would pass this story down? Um, and what about what about the holiness that we invoke was invoked for these people that they thought of, that they really believed that these stories taught something or brought something that needed to be passed down to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And that has been one of the like, main ideas that we've, we've been learning about this past year. What's important mm -hmm. to people? Why would it be important? And why is it important that we are respectful of that? Mm -hmm. um, even if we don't necessarily disagree, uh, agree with it. And I think having those discussions and engaging in, the, in those discussions has been really important for our family as a general whole. Hmm. Um, and how does it work, Lauren, for you? Because clearly all four of your kids are not the same age, right? So in terms of, you know, framing the conversation for an age-appropriate 11-year-old as you would a, you know, an eight-year-old, I mean, how... How have you navigated through through that? I mean, so some of that comes from 
you know, making sure to spend individual time with each of the kids, right. And like having the higher level discussion with our 11 year old and the, you know, more age and stage appropriate discussion with one of our seven year olds has severe ADHD. And so trying to bring that to him in a way that works not just for his age, but also for where he is. Um, and some of it is wording and word choice, but you're never going to get perfect, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're always going to be evolving. And if you see it as an evolving conversation, it's much easier than remember that time that I said that perfect thing to you only remember this bit. Mm -hmm. Um, as a parent, you know, that that's never, (laughs) it's never going to happen and it's going to be an evolving discussion anyway. So you might as well embrace that aspect of, uh, imperfection and ongoing, Mm. ongoing talk. Um, and some of it is using words and thinking, uh, like thinking, like what is going to meet them where they're at, right? Like what's Mm -hmm. going to speak to their heart? Why is that going to be important to them? You know, Mm -hmm. so really spending a little bit of time watching them playing together and seeing where everybody is this week or this day, right? Mm -hmm. Are they tired? Are they hungry? Like, is there something physical that I can do to help them out? Like get them, you know, out on the trampoline and have them bounce around or run around outside. And then we can have this talk or, if it's really more of an issue of like, oh, you're, we're ha- like, we're not in the same place and mm-hmm. I need you to come up or I need to come down so that we can meet in the middle. Mm. Um, and just spending a little bit of time practicing reflection over that as opposed to reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of parenting is, <laughs> I feel like, controlling your reactions and being like, all right, like, where is this coming from? And what am I going to do about it? And making space between those two ideas, right? Like we Mm. often put what's happening and what am I going to do about it right next to each other, but you can actually separate them out and create some space on the in-between. And that usually creates a better reaction from you as a parent. Mm. Um, And I, (laughs) I used to work with teenagers and I used to travel with them. We would travel to Israel and go all around and tour all these things. Um, And I, (laughs) I can tell you, nothing scares a kid more like We'll talk about this in the morning when you are especially tired and you know that you are not necessarily going to make your best choice, um, but maybe after some coffee in the morning, you might. uh, And that is always, that's always worth an investment, right? Like it Mm -hmm. doesn't, nothing needs to be immediate. You have the capacity to think it through as a parent. Mm -hmm. You just need, you know, the five minutes of time and you're allowed to give yourself a timeout too, Mm -hmm. right? In that kind of way where you're allowed to be like, this has really upset mommy. I'm going to take a step back. We're not going to do this right now. And then in five minutes, I will come back to you. We will have a discussion. It's not that I'm not here. It's just, I have feelings too, and you can watch me process my hard feelings. And after I have processed my hard feelings, we can talk about it. So you're, it's actually great in that you're both modeling what, Mm -hmm. that you can process hard feelings, right? Like they don't knock you out. It's not for forever, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of little kids get stuck. I know um, when our, when one of our littlest was five, he would get stuck stuck in feelings and think that it's going to last for forever. And so modeling that you won't always feel this way. It will pass for Mm -hmm. the good and for the bad. As you said at the intro, like this too shall pass. 
both for the good stuff and for the bad stuff, you'll Mm -hmm. be able to cycle through it. And for the great stuff, you'll hopefully be able to cycle back around. Hmm. Um, And I think it's actually, you know, actually listening to what you're saying. I mean, I mean, it's, 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 I think it's very amazing and incredible advice for not only parents, but also look as individuals and as adults, as people to be able to allow others to see us process or to see us challenged in some way and to find the space so that we're not explosive, that we don't say things that we don't mean, that you know, we're, we're very reactive as, as human beings and especially with kids for them to see so that we can, as you said, as to model their behavior or even our own behavior after what they are modeling or you know, showing in some way. Um, wow. That must take work though. I mean, it must take practice. It, do, it totally takes practice, right? Like we live in a very reactive culture where like things are now, now, now you absolutely have to get it done and you have to like give me a response and I need to know how you feel about this now. Like the reality is, and this is one of the great gifts of the pandemic is like time is, you know, what is time? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> time is something that we make up and to be able to say, I'm not going to allow this to control me and to control my time, I have some agency. I have the ability to choose um, how quickly I respond to this. And it's not necessary for me to respond to everything immediately, right? Like mm-hmm. we talk, we were talking before about Shabbat and how awesome Shabbat is. Part of the reason that Shabbat is great is because it gives you an entire day of space mm-hmm. to spend time, to reflect, to really like, think through some things if you're super lucky and the kids haven't woken you up super early or like interrupted your nap um, or their nap isn't interrupted or you know like all the wide variety of other things that can happen but spending setting aside even you know an hour a week to be able to reflect as we do in services is such a gift and then it gives you the practice to be able to do that for a minute two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, when something really difficult or challenging or triggering happens to you, sorry. And then with that time, you can come out of like the base of your brain reaction, which is usually, you know, anger or upset or, um, you know, really feeling, let's say not your best self, as I say to the Mm. kids. Um, and being able to give yourself a little bit of space mm. right, in that, in those periods of time. And I think part of the reason that any religious practice is really helpful is because it creates a space for us to practice reflection mm-hmm. for any period of time throughout the week. Mm. Um, and then being able to implement that kind of time morphing for yourself as a mm. parent and translating that into, into parenting is incredibly helpful. Oh, well, well, and uh, you know, look, you know, Rabbi Lauren, if you were to go back over the last year, the last two years, um, what are some of those hands-on moments that you, upon reflection go, you know what, dang, that was awesome. And I'm going to use that, that language of my 10 and a half year old of the word dang dang that was awesome i want to do it again and maybe for you also looking back on something you may have taught your kids that maybe your kids go that was an amazing lesson i really learned a lot 
and being able to say, you know what, I really like that. How can I enhance it, bring it back so that there's more, as you said earlier in the program, of creating these moments of joy? Uh, you know, nobody wants to learn when it's 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 a chore, right? So, you know, for you, what were what were a few examples when when you know you've taken your kids through this this educational journey that you said to yourself, wow, that was that was beyond my expectation, and that was just that was that was awesome. Um, it's <laughs> such a hard question. Um, so I, I really truly believe that like, if you're dirty, you did something during the day, especially for kids, my kids age, right. Our oldest is 11. And so all the other kids are younger. Um, and you know, honestly, if you're dirty, you did something. If the table is dirty, you did something right. Like as science experiment, talking about chemistry through bath bombs, talking about, um, I, doing paper mache masks and, uh, of each animal in the African, uh, in the African desert, for example, we did when we were talking about, um, the different, like, uh, masks, uh, like the different cultures that are within Africa. And then we did masks. And then as we were doing masks, we were talking about the construction of the face of each of the animals and why they were constructed the way that they were and how they evolved and like what happened there. Um, mm. I think if you ask my kids, they might have different, a wide variety of answers, right? Like we, I had asked them to build new Grange in Ireland on Minecraft and they would probably tell you that that was the most fun because they played Minecraft. Sure. <laughs> we also, you know, like I asked them to like build the Coliseum for similar reasons. And we had these build challenges. We um, built Mahindradaro out of a wide variety of boxes that we had in the house, which meant that we had like a whole room city that they mm. had planned out and put into cardboard. And then they spent like three days crawling through the cardboard and up and down and going going all around um, and spending a lot of time in, in imaginative play. I mean, granted, it meant that you couldn't walk through that room for a week, but, you know, like I said, if you're dirty, you did something. Mm. And that I think is really great for kids and getting them into the dirt and getting mm. them to make a mess um, is an incredible experience for them. And then mm. as an adult, having them help clean it up is also an important practice, right? Mm. Like you can, you can undo what has been done. Mm. And the, and like that idea, both for our carpet and also for your soul is, is important, right? Like mm. the idea of redemption and making the space new again um, applies not just to, to our living room or to the basement, but mm. also to the rest of us as well. Oh, wow. And, 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 and what about, you know, personally for you in terms of finding your own space to unwind your own space to, you know, <laughs> if, if we can even say your own space to recharge, you know, to reflect, uh, you know, I mean, I, it must be incredibly challenging, not only with four kids and maintaining of a household. Uh, I'm, I'm very clear here now not to use labels, right, but in some way, Right, because our identities are wrapped into it, right? You're a mother, you're a rabbi, you're an educator, you are, you know, a wife, you are, I mean, all these things, but ultimately it boils down to I'm also a human being that has passion, that has excitement, that has knowledge, that, you know, where do you find the time for yourself? 
And how do you find the time for yourself? So part of the reason that I was laughing is because that is a continuous challenge for, I think, everyone, um, especially now, especially, you know, when whenever you feel stuck in a space or are quarantined or any of those things, it's, re- it's really hard to find that kind of space. Um, and, you know, when the babies were little, what I used to do is go out to the movies and have like a two hour period where I just, I wasn't in my own head. I wasn't anywhere else. I was sitting by myself in the movies, enjoying a story and that had like nothing to do with me and didn't involve like anybody else's needs. And I could have the snacks that I wanted and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, then the pandemic hits and you can't, those same spaces don't hold that same relief anymore. And you have to figure out how do you attain, how do you attain the same relief that you need in a different space in a, with a different idea of what is happening with different requirements on you. And that is incredibly hard for everybody. So some of the things that have helped me is the idea of like finding joy in what I'm already doing, right? Like not adding to my load, but figuring out how to um, make my cup of coffee in the morning more joyful. I think that's part of the reason that, you know, you see all the shirts like, but first coffee or like wine time and stuff like that. It's because it's a chance to actually sit down and do nothing except have a drink of any variety. And I think that those moments create opportunities for reflection that we don't get throughout the day, which is part of the reason that people look forward to them so much. Mm-hmm. Um, is because you're having, you are making space and it's a, a society understands that like, this is your time for this one thing and you're not doing anything else. Mm-hmm. Just drinking a cup of coffee. And that learning to really enjoy and dig into that is I found really challenging, but also Mm. really rewarding. Mm. Um, But it's part of the like self-reflection that we, that we were talking about before and like making a little bit of space for yourself and then teaching everybody around you that like, these are the five minutes that I have and I'm taking them. Mm -hmm. I am, I am claiming the time that I have Mm -hmm. for myself and it's not an unreasonable amount of time, you know, five minutes to drink a cup of coffee is quick. Um, but really like making sure that you're holding that space for yourself because you have value. All the people in your house have value mm-hmm. um, and you are not excluded from that. You are a part of that. You know, I mean, it's always, it's always interesting. I mean, certainly I know, I know through your rabbinic training, I know certainly from my rabbinic training, I mean, we've always been told about time management, and, you know, chunk off a section of your time so that it is protected, um, obviously easier in institutions than it is within the institution of your own family, because you really can't chunk off and say to your kids, well, right now it's 1.15, I've blocked off 1.15 to 2.30, leave me alone, come back in an hour and 15. Um, Right, but it's not going to work with little kids ever. It doesn't work with little kids. Um, But you know, there's something there too, and I love what you said because it is about modeling. I mean, there are times where I'll say to my kids, "Guys, I need, I need ten minutes. Um, I need ten minutes. Just you know, go read, run outside, go jump in the pool, whatever it is. You know, Uh, and obviously, if they jump in the pool, I am there watching. Um, Right, but there is something too of of. You know, we, we we need to be able to protect, protect our own time and our own mental fortitude in order to be 
as successful with our kids and with other interactions that we come into. Totally. One of the things that struck me the most when we were studying Torah together was the idea that um, Abraham digs a bunch of wells, right? Like every place he goes, he digs a new well and he digs a new well and he digs a new well. And then Isaac goes back and redigs a lot of those wells. Hmm. And I just, I loved the idea of like your own personal well needs to be redug sometimes. Hmm. You might have built it or somebody else might have built it for you so that you have like this structure. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to have to get your hands dirty and like redig it out sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's going to take some work. Mm-hmm. But it is also what nourishes you and what gives you water and what enables you to like move forward. Mm-hmm. So a dry well can't give anything. And mm-hmm. making sure that your well isn't dry or if it starts to get low or if it's dry that you notice it, mm. right? That you aren't just like reacting out of it and wondering why why you're mad all the time or um, why <laughs> you might've even run out of energy to be mad. Instead, you're just sad mm. and figuring out why that is and helping yourself redig the well or asking for the help that you need when you need it, right? Like there were plenty of moments in this past year where I was like, I am, failing Mm. at this and who can I ask for help in order to be able to not (laughs) fail at this quite so epically, right? Like Mm. to improve the failure and, you know, learning how to ask for help in and of itself is hard when you're Mm. trying to like redig the well and then finding the help that matches what you need, right? Like maybe you don't need a steam shovel. Maybe you just need a pick, right? Mm -hmm. Or the opposite. Maybe you thought you needed something small and really you need something bigger. And that kind of stuff is hard to acknowledge, but incredibly important Mm. and is what enables you to keep going. Because if your well is dry and you have no water, you're not going to be able to move forward in your journey at all. Mm. And so you need to be able to, you know, either you choose to make the space or the space will be made for you. Mm. And I mean, I love, I love your analogy. I think it is. Um, I, I mean, I, I love the well, the water. I mean, it, it's, it's, it makes me think of, and I'm sure you're familiar with the very impactful phrase by Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who says that, you know, prayer invites God's presence to suffuse our spirits, right? That God's will to prevail in our lives, that prayer may not bring water to parched fields, nor mend a broken bridge, nor rebuild a ruined city, but prayer can water an arid soul mend a broken heart, and rebuild a weakened will. And I think that there's something really beautiful about that that conception that there are times we need to dig deeper, uh, you know, get beyond that water table, to bring in fresh water, to be able to nourish our souls. Um, you know, there's there's a beautiful midrash that I, I, I know we're both familiar with that effectively says, look, why do we read Torah on Monday, Thursdays, and Shabbat morning every three days? Because much like the human body right, cannot survive three days without water, so too can we not survive three days without hearing the words of Torah. And I think that there's something really beautiful there that we inspire and and inform others of the fact that the body also needs nourishment. We need to to be able to recharge. Um, Yeah, no, you're not like some amorphous cloud. You have a body, you have, you know, like, And you need to spend time with both of those things. I think as both of us have gotten older, we've realized that you can't, 
there's stuff that you can't ignore anymore and you have to really work with, or you're not going to feel great. And then not great results are going to come out of that. And it really, it takes work. I, I don't think any of us realized as we got older, how much work it takes, but it definitely takes work. Absolutely. Um, and being willing to invest in yourself is, uh, is a part of that. It's the first step in that journey. Oh, so um, we're, we're running a little bit out of time, but I just wanted to um, thank Rabbi Lauren Ben-Shoshan for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lauren, she has articles, she has publications, she has stuff on uh, the Union for Reform Judaism, on uh, other platforms itself. You know, read, uh, read her stuff. It is great. Um, and if you're interested in our curriculum, uh, the Accidental Homeschoolers Guide, that website is just starting to come up. And uh, you too can do some of the stuff that we did here at the house. Um, and yeah, we're excited. Absolutely. So um, for those of our listeners, if you uh, would like the opportunity, uh, certainly follow uh, uh, Rabbi Lauren on um, all the major platforms. She is out there. Uh, she is doing great work within, uh, within her family <laughs> and certainly uh, beyond. Um, and just as we, uh, as, we, as we close down our show this morning, I uh, just also wanted to mention, um, as my wife reminded me, um, you know, many years ago, uh, when Rabbi Lauren and my wife would study rabbinics um, late into the evening, and I would uh, uh, have the opportunity to cook you guys dinner uh, many times. So Lauren, come back to Florida, come join us. Uh, I'll cook you a nice, awesome meal, maybe some mushrooms, you know, whatever it may be. Um, it would totally, yeah. <laughs> it would be amazing. Absolutely. Um, but again, I just wanted to, on behalf of a priest and a rabbi, uh, Lauren, thank you for joining us. Uh, I know you've certainly enhanced uh, my understanding and certainly inspired me to be able to uh, not only become a, uh, as I label myself as a father, a rabbi, um, a husband, and just uh, uh, one who loves uh, life. You know, thank you because you have inspired, at least for me, uh, this this opportunity and these moments that I'm able to not only share with my own community, but certainly that I'm able to share with my own family. Um, so thank you. Thank you for having me. It's such Absolutely. a joy to see you and be able to chat a bit. Absolutely. We'll check you all next week. <laughs>